Hi, this is Fat Mike from NoFX. Hi, I'm actress Ann Mahoney. Hey, friends, this is Hugh Billy Jim. Hi, this is Kyle Dunbar from Ink Master, season three and four. Hey, this is Shoutout Joe Frog. Hey, everyone, this is Jessica Kiernan. Hey, it's Ryan. I'm Molly, and we're from Mother Mother. Hey, it's Shelby Chong, and I'm a Canadian from Vancouver. Yo, yo, what's up? This is me, DMC, and a place to be right here listening to the Toddcat Podcast. Every once in a while, you'll run into someone that you just know you'll get along with for whatever reason, cut from the same cloth kind of thing. Someone I recently met fits the bill for me and a guy named Chris Mancuso. Chris is a big sports guy. He lives out in Niagara, Ontario. He's the managing editor of Full Press NHL, co-host of a couple podcasts, Pardon the Puck and Get the Puck Out. couple great names. He's also a blogger with the Dean Blundell Network, which of course, if, if you didn't know, we, the Toddcast, part of Blundell's podcast division, I guess I do a little bit of writing for him as well. Dean's a beauty. I love that guy. Longtime radio guy, known him for years since my Fox days. We'd fly out to Ireland, do our shows together from the Jameson Distillery. Pretty cool. Not a rough gig. And from what I've been able to gather, Mancuso, also a beauty. So I figured we'd get Chris on for this week, uh, digging his stuff and what he's all about online. And I really think you're going to like this week's visit. Joining Chris, you'll hear from 2020 Juno Awards nominee for Best Engineer, Echo Plant Sound Studios' Ryan Worsley. A great talk with one of the best in the industry, a true gem, speaking of beauties. And former Black Crows drummer Steve Gorman who you'll hear from in literally a minute. You're roughly 15 minutes away from Stop Me If You've Heard This Before. This week, Sons of Anarchy and Days of Our Lives actress Kristen Renton talks about acting and whether you need to live in a major market to make it. That's brought to you by Protech Welding Steel Fabrication in North Vancouver. Online at protechwelding.com. Longtime friends, big love for their unwavering support over the years. First, let's get to our first guest of three. This week's musical guest, as mentioned, former Black Crows drummer Steve Gorman. That is brought to you by the Railway Stage and Beer Cafe, 579 Dunsmere, downtown Vancouver. They're shut down right now due to the coronavirus, but we will be back throwing live shows there once again, and I cannot wait for that. Uh, You've known of the Black Crows since the late 80s. They released their debut, Shake Your Moneymaker, in 1989, and it immediately put them on the map as one of the best rock bands all time. Rolling Stone magazine readers named the band Best New American Band in 1990. They cannonballed, cannonball, they cannonballed into the pool. Their next album came out in 1992. The Southern Harmony Musical Companion went to number one on Billboard. Great record. And along the way, you heard their music on any good rock radio station. In fact, they became a staple of the playlist as it should be. Infamously, the brothers, Robinson, Chris and Rich, they fought like cats and dogs over the band's entire career. You need to read Steve Gorman's Hard to Handle, The Life and Death of the Black Crows, a memoir. An absolute page burner. A great read. You'll find yourself going, holy crap, so many times throughout the book. VH1 put the Black Crows at number 92 on the 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. 
They've sold over 30 million albums worldwide and are one of the best live rock bands to have ever walked the face of Earth. As a huge fan of the band, this is a highlight of the year, interview-wise. And I know we're early. It's only April. But I love this band. I love Steve Gorman. Hear the full talk at our iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud pages. We are also on the Dean Blundell Network through deanblundell.com. Search it out through Toddcast Podcast otherwise. In the meantime, here's 10 minutes with former Black Crows drummer Steve Gorman. The Toddcast Podcast. I find it interesting that Ringo Starr gets as much slack as he gets from people. Like, what? He's the freaking... He's well, the Beatles. Well, people are people are stupid. People have no idea. I mean, I mean as, you know, look who's who's also been the butt of a billion jokes for forty years. Neil Peart. I mean, it's like in right. the same way. It's like there. You know, you only get that much grief when you're at a level where there's nothing else to do but take shots at okay. a certain point. Right. And you know, it's funny. I, I you still hear people maintain that the Beatles weren't great players, and. You know, the answer to that is, okay, you go play without monitors mm-hmm. and, you know, in a stadium and you, you sound like the, you make it sound like that band could make. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's a, I, I put everything in sports analogies and I've, you know, there are people who will tell you that Wilt Chamberlain's a better basketball player than Bill Russell to this day. And I don't take those people seriously. It's like. <laughs> It, it, it means nothing. Bill Russell won 11 championships mm-hmm. and never looked at the stat line once. That's the point. And music is a team sport in, in rock and roll music. It's not about who played the best part. It's about what band had the best vibe together collectively. And, mm-hmm. you know, Ringo is, you know, if you can make those other three guys all feel good with what you're doing to their songs, you're a genius. I'm sorry. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah, enough said. What was your first concert? What, what was the band? My first concert was, uh, I saw Heart in 1978. So I was 13, I guess, and um, it was unexpected. We were on a soccer trip, my high school team, um, and me and a, me and a buddy, we, we went to Lexington, Kentucky for a soccer game. I was actually, I think I was in eighth grade, and, and uh my friend and I just went with his mom. We were just going to watch the varsity. My older brothers had games. And so we were just going up to watch. So we weren't with the team and we checked into a hotel that was right next to Rupp arena. And that night Hart was playing. And my friend's mom was like, Oh, do you guys want to go to a concert? Here you go. She just awesome. gave us 20 bucks and set us off. And you know, I was, I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't own a Hart record, but everybody knew who Hart was. I mean, I, sure. you know, all their songs were on the radio all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it was, in addition to being my first concert, it was also completely unexpected, which made it really special. Yeah, that's really cool. And interesting that your first concert was with a band that is a sibling band. Being in the Black Crows for as long as you, yeah. you were, do you feel that there's something about being in a band with brothers or sisters or whatever? Is there kind of a bit of a leg up in that regard, do you think? Um, I, not necessarily. It just depends on if you choose to think of it that way, but to me. I mean, it's a leg up in the early days in that I know for the Robinsons, they didn't feel like they had a choice. Um, in fact, when I first started playing with them, I was talking to Chris one day after a particularly contentious rehearsal, and I said, why are you in a band with him? Like, you guys hate each other. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know. I said, why don't we? And we had other friends, and I was like, why don't we jam with some other people? Like, I just didn't understand the point of continuing it 
in a band that was so miserable at the jump. And, mm. um, and Chris and I actually did one time. We got together with a guitar player we knew and a bass player, these guys that were in another band, and we just threw ideas around and jammed for a few hours, and it was great. Mm. And it was literally, we walked out of there, and Chris was like, oh, my God, this is night and day. And I said, you don't have to be in a band with someone just because he's your brother. Like, I, it was just... And I wasn't trying to dismantle Mr. Crow's garden. It was just, to me, it was just basic common sense. Why don't you pursue something else if you hate this? And it was, but it, and it was a great night and we finished. And the next day, like unprompted, Chris looked at me and goes, I, I, I'm doing this with Rich. I got to do it. Like whatever triggers that, you know, he, he enjoyed it so much that it freaked him out. And we never looked back after that. And I was like, okay, I get it. But you know, I have five brothers mm-hmm. and, I understand the draw. Like if, if you know, like in a, this might it sound like a silly analogy, but when I got to college, I was on a campus with two of my older brothers, and we played intramural basketball together, and we argued about every possession. <laughs> but it never occurred to us to not be on the same team, right? And so it's it's really just that simple. Sometimes in the early days, when you have to be, when you have to, you know, just commit on a level where nothing else matters just to even get started and to try to scratch a little bit of an existence out of a local band. I think it is a great strength because, um, you know, just look at the, any local band goes through 56 members before they find a lineup because, Mm -hmm. you know, people don't make the commitment. And when you have a brother, at least there's no question about, well, we're just doing this, you know, so that probably does help. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure in the case of the Wilson sisters, imagine trying to do that in the early seventies. I'm sure it was a huge help that they had each other. Yeah. What do you remember about the first time, you know, jamming with the guys? There must've been the instant chemistry, right? Yeah. Well, there was chemistry that you couldn't hear, but you could feel cause we weren't very good. But the first time I ever played with Chris and Rich was we all, Chris and I were roommates in a house. We had a, there was four of us that lived in a house or five of us, it was my band, which was called Mary, my hope. There was four of us. And Chris was the odd man in his, you know, that was the other housemate. And so Mr. Crow's garden and my band, Mary, my hope both rehearsed there. And they were actually auditioning drummers because they needed a drummer. And they had a kid that couldn't figure out how to play a fill to, he couldn't get the time of an intro to a song down. And it was a very simple, straight song. And I was just sitting in the other room and Chris called me. He goes, Steve, come in here and play this. And I just walked in and sat down and I'd heard the song a, a few times mm. from the other room. And it was real basic. And they, they had a kid in there that was like a jazz drummer and he was overthinking everything. And I just went in, sat down and played mm. and we played through an entire song. And then they were getting ready to go do another demo for A&M records. And that's when Chris said, Hey, come just play on this demo with us. You know, like you, you got this down, do this with us. And so the first time I, sat with them the last thing on my mind would be that it was anything other than filling in for 15 seconds to show this kid how to play a part wow so that probably helped too because nobody there was no pressure there was no thought of anything other than it was just that simple and it was that in hindsight it was like well that felt pretty cool Hmm. (laughs) interesting tell us about writing your book hard to handle the life and death of the black crows a memoir semi-therapeutic um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think I'd already done all the therapy. Um, <laughs> okay. you know, it, it, I, I couldn't have written it had I not already processed all of, uh, 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 or, you know, the lion's share of, of what it was like, 
you know, to, to sit there and try to put half your life or at the time, you know, 27 years is half my life right now. So it was actually a little over half my life when I started writing the book, try to put it all down. Um, it, it, it wasn't, it was daunting until I started. And then as soon as I got into a flow, it was, I, I really enjoyed the process. I'm, I'm very happy to sit and write and write and write, you know, for hours at a time, as it turns out, um, mm -hmm. to get lost in there. But it was, I just think it's a fascinating story. And I, you know, and it's, and again, I, I, or I, I say again, because I've explained this so many times, but I, it's my story and it's really, the book is about me. And then there's all these things that happen where other people are involved, but I wrote it from a perspective of, you know, I know that people that love the black crows are going to find things that are interesting about, or they're, they're annoyed by, or that they wish they didn't know, or that they wish I'd told more about, mm -hmm. but I, that, that's a given. I, I thought it was a story that anybody could find something from whether you're a black crows fan or not. Um, it's just a question of what you're willing to do to get what you want ultimately and what you're willing to endure and put up with. And how do you know when you've crossed the line within your own moral compass? And, you know, it's all those kind of themes, which I think everybody can relate to on some level in life, or certainly most people can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Steve, beyond the music, you're a, a huge sports guy. What's your favorite to watch? What's your favorite to play? Uh, my favorite, if I got one game to watch, I'm going to watch soccer. Um, that's the first sport I ever played. I started playing soccer when I was six. Mm -hmm. And and um, it's always been my, my number one. But basketball is a close second. Um, mm. And if I'm going to play anything right now, I would say basketball just because I haven't played pickup soccer in 20 years. <laughs> and uh, I would invariably blow out an Achilles if I even laced up a pair of cleats right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but you know, but but I moved to Kentucky when I was ten, and that's basketball is literally religion in that state. So my soccer career, uh, just by necessity and by default, became secondary to my basketball career because I moved to a place where I did play soccer in school, uh, but we were the only school within sixty miles that had a team. Mm. But basketball was was everywhere. So I've, I've played way more basketball in my life. I played basketball all the time until I was about thirty five. Do you get into the the MMA, UFC, Bellator, and in the fights and all that? No, no. Uh -uh. I went to an event once, and I and in person I was I, I enjoyed it more. I, I understood it a lot more. Um, you know, I'm the kind of guy I see that on TV, and I just think it's two people trying to kill each other. Mm. And then when I saw it live, I was aware of. I, I got a much greater sense of no, this is these are martial arts, and these guys are very disciplined, and there's great respect. But that's been ten years. I don't. I wouldn't pretend to know anything about where it's gone since, and I don't pay any attention to it. Musical guests of the Toddcast podcast are powered by the Railway Stage and Beer Cafe. Check them out at five seventy nine Dunsmere, downtown Vancouver.
And now, stop me if you've heard this before on the Toddcast Podcast. You'll know actress Kristen Renton most likely from her role in Sons of Anarchy. She had a recurring role from 2009 to 2013, but you've seen her in a lot of other shows as well. CSI New York and Miami, Days of Our Lives, Anger Management in the Charlie Sheen days, The O.C., The Andy Dick Show. They just completed filming for Fat Ass Zombie, where Kristen plays Tiffany. She's Laura in T11 Incomplete, Becky in Xenophobia. And when Kristen called up to be a guest, we talked about how she loves everything about sports, mainly football and baseball. She shared how she landed her role in Sons of Anarchy, gave some thoughts on legalized marijuana. We talked Deadpool, her favorite actors, the hardest thing about her job. She talked about seeing the monkeys in concert. She has a Star Wars confession. I wonder if she still has that today. And stop me if you've heard this before. Kristen talks about whether you need to live in a major market to make it as an actor. You know, unfortunately, you, you ha- when, at least when you're starting out, you have to, um, just because of how quickly auditions can come up and, and you really do need to kind of insert yourself into that world um, to be able to make the contacts you need to make, go to the auditions, you know, classes, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Once you're established, I don't think it's as imperative. Um, but, you know, you need to go where the work is. You need to go where the jobs are. And, and you know, unfortunately, that's, that's kind of usually how it is. Stop me if you've heard this before on the Toddcast podcast is brought to you by ProTech Welding, a CWB certified steel fabrication shop in North Vancouver and online at ProTechWelding.com. Sometimes the little things in life, they make me smile Like a phone call from a friend you haven't heard from in a while Or a sunny day when the weatherman's calling for rain The feeling that you get when the one you're with loves you the same Everyone needs love Find it in your heart to give some Show a little love Show a little love Some people lack affection and it leaves them in pain All they need is the right touch to feel the light again The key to happiness has always been yours to find Take the good, leave the bad, enjoy yourself while you've got time Everyone needs love Find it in your heart Give some love, 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 love Show a little love, 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 love Find it in your heart cause it's the only thing That keeps us all from falling down Show a little 
Christopher James and a new song for him called Show a Little Love. And before COVID-19 took over, we talked about having Chris play another podcast show. So you can look forward to that. It was booked. It wasn't announced. Who knows when things will go back to normal, quote unquote. It won't happen if people keep being stupid about isolating though. Keep hearing about these people that are going to the beach, having picnics, hitting the park for a barbecue. Dumbasses still going to church. Honestly, don't know what the problem is. Stay home, stay safe, stay healthy. And in return, you will help healthcare workers. It's win-win. Anyway, played you Brass Camel and their song was Issues. And I believe their show mid-month last month at the Wise Hall in East Vancouver did take place. I was over in Tofino with the family. It was right around the beginning of the coronavirus really shaking people's nerves, starting to grab a hold and make people sick. People were dying on the other side of the globe. We just did our Cheap Thrills 18 with Wide Mouth Mason singer Sean Vareau on that Thursday night, and I believe Brass Camel played on the Friday night. And then about four or five days later, venues were closed by government. Rightfully so. Some people say we waited maybe a little too long. I can honestly say I wasn't super relaxed while in Tofino, despite being over for our spring vacation with the boys. At any rate, speaking of live music, normally you can find info for all of our shows and a bunch more with the indie scene at toddhancock.ca. Just imagine what our scene is going to be like Once the gathering restrictions have been lifted, it's going to be crazy, glorious. It's going to go off. Can't wait to be doing live shows again, hanging out, laughing, drinking. That's brought to you by Mystic Rhythms Rehearsal Studios, 40 plus years experience in the music industry, the indie scene. Find out more through mysticrhythms.ca. Coming up later on in the podcast, in listen to this, Alter Bridge guitarist Mark Tremonti talks about his love. Oh, there was shit in his pants and love in his eyes. Metallica's Master of Puppets album, the best metal album all time. 
That is powered by Tedco RV Supplies in Langley. RV service and repair, ICBC accredited. You can find them online at tedcorvsuppliesinc.com. First, our second of three Toddcast guests this week, our sporting guest, the managing editor of Full Press NHL and the co-host of the Get the Puck Out podcast, Chris Mancuso. That is brought to you by Block E Media. Grow your business online, social media, marketing, digital advertising, and a lot more. Keep up through blockemedia.com. As mentioned off the top, Chris Mancuso is a beauty. His Twitter bio just about says it all. Family man, managing editor of Full Press NHL, co-host of the Get the Puck Out and the Pardon the Puck podcasts, blogger slash certified beauty at the Dean Blundell Network. He's worth the follow on social media for the chirping alone at cmancuso9797 on Twitter. You should start there. He's on there daily, like us, mostly sports, but you'll get a good variety of interesting and engaging things out of Chris as well. And I'm looking forward to getting to know this guy just a little bit better. It was a, a couple of weeks back, he'd had me on as a guest of his podcast, which was pretty cool. Don't have, doesn't happen very often. Don't you just love it when you meet people that you get along with instantly? It doesn't happen very often. And you know what? As you get older, you start to appreciate those like-minded people in your life more and more. The full conversation with Chris is definitely worth hearing. You can check it out right now through the Toddcast iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud pages. Until you hear that, here's 10 minutes with the managing editor of Full Press NHL and the co-host of the Get the Puck Out podcast, Chris Mancuso. The Toddcast Podcast. What's your first sports memory? First sports memory for me would be Watching the Bruins draft Joe Thornton, I remember that being a really massive deal. I know that I was like nine years old then, so you think it would be earlier, but I mean, I, I don't know. My memory doesn't work the same as, uh, as everyone else's. I had a lot of fun growing up, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? I think that was probably like, I remember that was the first time I like locked on one player and got like obsessive with one guy was like when they drafted Joe Thornton. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I remember always going to hockey practice early in the morning. I, uh, you know, things like that as a kid, but like, as far as like an NHL memory for me, it all started when the Bruins grabbed Joe Thornton. Right. And so was the Bruins, are they your team or are they just up? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm a big Bruins fan. Uh, I know that's not a popular answer, but, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. In, in Niagara Falls in the sixties from like 1960 to almost 1970, the Niagara Falls Flyers were the Bruins farm team. So there's a ton of, uh, Bruins connections here. And my grandparents used to like billet, uh, players, like people that used to play on the Bruins that went up through the system and that. So, uh, my grandparents started being Bruins fans and, you know, half of my family are Blackhawks fans, and the other half are Bruins fans. It's weird. Even though we're so close to Toronto, none of us like the Leafs, which is pretty understandable. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The NHL is probably done for the season. Before the coronavirus hit, who were you liking? Oh, I mean, you had to like Boston. You had to like Tampa Bay loaded up on some guys at the deadline. Yeah, Tampa Bay. Uh, they have to feel pretty bummed out right now. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers were 9-1 and in their last 10 games. They looked really good, and then you look on the other side, I think Vegas had a good shot, as well as the St. Louis Blues look as good as any other team out there as well. Yeah, 100%. Now, is it fair to say, then, the hockey is your favorite sport to watch? 
Oh, hands down, hands, hands down. Up. I mean, I do like Premier League soccer, and I do like football. I'm not a big baseball or NBA guy, but uh, Premier League soccer and uh, NFL football, I definitely enjoy. But hockey's definitely my first love, 100%. Right, and what's your favorite sport to play? Hockey, for hockey. sure. I'm a big Again, hockey, hockey guy. Yeah, yeah, I played football. I was better at football than I was at hockey. Believe it or not, but, okay. uh, especially being from Canada, that's weird. But yeah. uh, I definitely enjoyed playing hockey more. That's for sure. Right, and do you think that the Raptors could have uh, done a repeat? I think the Raptors absolutely could have come out of the Eastern Conference. I don't know if the Milwaukee Bucks uh, have the toughness to get through them in the playoffs. When you're talking guys like Ibaka right. and Gasol defending, and uh, all the other pieces that they have, and what a great coach. Uh, in Nick Nurse, I'm not like the biggest NBA guy, but I'm aware enough of all sports. And uh, yeah, what a difference since, uh, you know, when I liked, uh, what was his name, Dwayne Casey, I thought he was a good enough coach, but just the difference that Nick Nurse has seemed to have made. And I think that year of Kawhi Leonard really rubbed off on a lot of the young guys, and they seem to still have that battle mode mentality like he had all the time. So, yeah, I think they could have at least went and played a team like the Lakers or somebody in the finals 100%. Yeah, could have made the effort anyway, for sure. You mentioned you're not a huge uh, baseball guy, but clearly you heard about, do you think that the, the Major League Baseball did enough when it came to the Houston Astros cheating, watching pitches, banging on drums to let their batters know what's coming up? Yeah, no, I don't think they did enough. This is a league that has Pete Rose, one of the great players of all time, who made a mistake. Yeah, he bet on the games. You don't do that. That's really, really bad. But I mean, a lifetime ban. The guy served enough now. You're going to sit here and just suspend guys for one year and not even punish the players who were so clearly in on it. I mean, I remember watching the Blue Jays playoff games, and my family are Red Sox fans. I'm not that big into baseball. I watch the Red Sox if I watch, but believe me, I I paid attention when the Blue Jays were in the playoffs, too, and I remember them playing the Astros in that game where Stroman was pitching. You could keep hearing before everything, smash, smash, smash. You could hear them banging the trash can during that game, and I remember sitting on my couch at the time, and I had one of my friends over and telling him, like, what the, who the hell's banging on what like, is We that? noticed it yeah. during that game, and then you forget about it all those years later, and now it comes up again. And I, I promise you, I remember hearing that during that game. And uh, I saw Stroman actually addressed it on Twitter, and he's like, oh, it all makes sense now. Like, he's like, I was doing my best stuff, and they were just all over it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just shady. Yeah, no, the more should have been done. And like I said, like my family likes the Red Sox. Alex Cora lost his job because of it. He shouldn't, He if he was involved, he shouldn't be in the league again. If Pete Rose has a lifetime ban, Al Tuve wouldn't take his, remember Buddy almost ripped open his shirt and he freaked out because he didn't want anyone to see his buzzer that he had now. I mean, they went right. to great lengths to cheat <laughs> the game. That is like, I mean, you wonder if the mob or somebody's in, in, involved when you start talking about that and sports betting and God knows what else, but yeah. uh, really shady stuff, and I think the league could have done a lot more. I think uh, other guys across the league are pissed about it. I think once the league does resume, you're going to see Altuve and guys, they're going to be eating fastballs to the ribs all season long, and uh, <laughs> oh, totally. they absolutely deserve it. So maybe that's more punishment than uh, than anything else. Yeah, I agree. Were you surprised at the result of the Fury Wilder 2? Yeah, you know what? 
Um, a friend of mine here is one of the up-and-coming boxers, actually, in the lightweight division. Okay. Um, Lucas Body, he's 9-0 and with nine knockouts. Wow. Uh, you know, he's got Phil LaGreco, former Canadian. Uh, but he was a champion, right? He lost the belt to Amir Khan. I actually had the... Uh, the, the the I was lucky enough to sit down with Lucas Body and uh, Lagreco, and both of them wow. thought that uh, that um, Fury or sorry that Wilder was going to win, but uh, the Gypsy King uh, strikes again. Man, he's a great fighter. He calls. I heard a funny story about him. I heard that he calls Anthony Joshua's phone and tells him like I'm going to knock you out. Sometimes <laughs> like he just called. That's how bad he wants to fight him. He'll just call him and tell oh, him that on the phone. Anthony Joshua said he'll get these calls and it's just him telling him. Yeah, I'm going to take your belt and knock you out one day. He just, he's awesome. That guy doesn't even look like he would be like in shape to be a fighter, and he's totally. just deadly. He is deadly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, didn't uh, wasn't there talk of uh, Joshua going out to help him with his training camp to prepare for the Wilder fight? I heard that too. I don't know if that ended up being true, but I heard that as well. Um, so who knows what they're drumming up? You got to remember, yeah. this is always a business, right? Remember Conor McGregor and Floyd right. Mayweather, all those press conferences. Meanwhile, they were sharing a plane rolling around in like four hundred million dollars cash between the two of them. <laughs> totally. so, uh, you never know in the fight game. It's a shady. It's a shady business. That's one thing I've learned from kind of studying it a bit. There's always. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of politics involved in that sport. We'll say that. Yeah, totally. And how about the uh, McGregor and uh, Cowboy Cerrone uh, fight a couple of months back? Did you yeah, not expect Cowboy to do much better than what he did? I did. I knew that Cowboy was on his uh, like way out. I know that he had lost a couple fights, but they were against great opponents. And I thought totally. he was at least going to give Connor a little bit of a match like uh, of a fight. But it almost felt like... Uh, they knew that it was the end of the line for him. McGregor needed a tune-up fight. I think Dana White, the whole UFC, really appreciates a guy like Cowboy Cerrone. Always fights on short rest. Always would he's picked up a couple fights that I can think of. Uh, will come in for guys being injured, and I think that that was more of a you know when when McGregor's out, as he says, it's red panty night for the wife. Right? You, you made the money, baby. We did it. So I think they handed Cowboy Cerrone a nice payday before you know it's the end of the line for him. It looks like because uh, he he didn't even stand a chance in that fight. Yeah, no, I agree. And how about the Khabib uh, Ferguson fight that's coming up? Who you got? Oh, I think I got Khabib, but I want Ferguson to win. I really don't like Khabib at all. There's just something about him. Like, he, he rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, it's maybe, I don't know, maybe I watched too much Rocky Four growing up or something, but it's that, uh, you know, that Chechnyan ra Russian uh, demeanor of his. Like, I mean, this guy was wrestling bears up in the mountains, though. Like, he's <laughs> tough as nails. I know McGregor wants to fight him again. Totally. He, wa he said he'll fight him in Moscow or he'll fight him anywhere. And it's like, I don't know if that's necessarily the fight that McGregor really wants. Because Khabib, we'll see what happens with uh, with this fight here. But um, he's he's tough as nails, Khabib. Like, they, when was that fight? It was... Uh, hmm. Yeah, like half a year back, maybe? A year ago? Yeah. It's been, it's been yeah, a while, yeah. Yeah, he dusted him. But McGregor... Oh, dude, it wasn't even close. Like, no. Yeah, McGregor was also like... I don't think he was personally 
training very hard. I think he was in a kind of a after that McGregor fight, he went all nuts. Remember, he was yeah. he was off. Uh, I mean, I'm not garbage here to cans and fucking bosses yeah, and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like, trying to say yeah. anybody was on drugs or partying too much or something, but like it kind of looked like Connor didn't have that focus, and you can't sleep on a guy like Khabib. No. Um, I think money talks, so I think they'll eventually get the fight. But if he says right now, he's not going to do it. So. Sporting guests of the Toddcast podcast are brought to you by Block E Media Inc. Digital marketing plans and solutions. Done for you and done with you. Online at blockemedia.com. Listen to this on the Toddcast Podcast.
Alter Bridge has been around since 2004. They formed after Creed became inactive in 2003. You had lead guitarist Mark Tremonti, bassist Brian Marshall, and drummer Scott Phillips enlisting Mayfield four singer at the time, Miles Kennedy, to front their new project. The following year, 2004, their debut, One Day Remains, hit the U.S. Billboard chart at number five. As you might imagine, mixed reviews. Over the years, they've put out an album every three to four years. Their latest, album number six, is called Walk the Sky, and that came out in October 2019. Right before the release of that, did you catch Mark as a guest of the podcast? We got to talking about a lot of stuff. Binge-watching The Boys, Vikings, Game of Thrones, how he's a big fan of the second Judge Dredd movie. Who isn't? He shared his thoughts on legalized marijuana. We talked Iron Maiden and Fraley's Comet, have aliens visited Earth? We talked about superhero movies like Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor, and he shared an amazing career highlight story of playing the Royal Albert Hall with the Symphony Orchestra. And Mark talked about his love of Metallica's Master of Puppets album, one of the best all time. Listen to this. That's my favorite record of all time. I mean, that's a flawless record almost. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I've heard it. What, thousands of times. Yeah, same. Best best track on that record. What do you think? For me, it's Orion. That's that's yeah. the one that brings me back to my childhood the most. I, you know, such a. I was always a huge fan of Metallica instrumentals, and uh, I was really bummed on the Black album that there wasn't one on there because um, I was kind of Call of Cthulhu from from Ride the Lightning was another one of my favorite Metallica songs. It was just you know always. I, I thought they did those very well. Listen to this on the Toddcast podcast is brought to you by Tedco RV Supplies in Langley, an ICBC-approved repair shop. Find them online at tedcorvsuppliesinc.com.
Just a crushing song from Tenant. It is called Reversion, and they're scheduled to play at the railway in Vancouver on May 16th. But let's be honest here. Who knows if we'll be seeing live events anytime soon. Regardless, that news is brilliant, as that was only recently that the band got back together. They've been done for a while, or at least that's how I remember it being left. Dig that band. Let's hope that they're maybe writing some, not to be, you know, selfish, but hopefully they're writing new music while in isolation. Ah, the silver lining in the COVID-19. The creators are cooped away being creative. It's never a bad thing. Played you Pickwick, and that was their song called Turncoat, the lone non-Canadian, non-Vancouver band of this week's podcast. They're based out of Seattle and I really dig their band. I really dig the vibe of what they're doing. The album is solid. I mean, literally front to back. I reached out to these guys last year about them coming up to play a podcast show and, and as nicely as they could, they basically said, dude, no, I'm paraphrasing, but the answer was no. It doesn't mean that we still can't give them love. Great band. Dive into the whole record. It's called Love Joys for the song that you just heard. Okay, Todd's Trolls is coming up in just a bit. The stupid, the mean, the hurtful, but really the funny things that people say to what you post and what you see online. And this week, The Strokes, the UFC, Trolls World Tour. They share that spotlight. It's powered by Good Times Gin and Tonics. Putting the GTs back in the G&T. Find them through goodtimesdrinks.com. Local and kicking ass. Gotta love it. Trolls is coming up in just a bit. First, our final guest of episode 221, this week's entertainment guest, 2020 Juno Awards nominee for Best Engineering, Echo Plant Sound Studios' Ryan Worsley. 
I think it was a post on Facebook that I saw that Ryan had been nominated, uh, and I immediately known each other for a while now. I immediately slid into his DMs. Dude, let's get you on the podcast. Talk about the Junos and your studio and kind of music in general, whatever else comes up. We've been threatening each other with a hang for a little bit now. He's come to a few Toddcast railway shows over the years. And when he does make it down, I always try to, you know, find some time to hang out with this guy. I find when people are like-minded and they share the same interests, it's good to nurture those relationships. He's a genuinely good guy from the limited time I've spent with them. But everybody I know in the industry says the exact same thing. So that's got to mean something, right? The full talk is now posted at our iTunes and Spotify SoundCloud pages with a simple search of Toddcast Podcast. Till then, here's 10 minutes with 2020 Juno Awards nominee for Best Engineer, Echo Plant Sound Studios' Ryan Worsley. The Toddcast Podcast. The virus has directly affected your life, uh, nominated for a Juno. With the Junos being canceled, how frustrating was was that for you? I wouldn't say it was frustrating. It was, I mean, I was, I was you know, understandably pretty bummed about it uh, because, you know, we were looking forward to it. We had our clothes picked out. We'd been shopping. And, right. you know, we were, I was I had a ton of meetings with people. I put a bunch of people in. You know, uh, the the night before, I remember kind of talking. Uh, Steve Steve Bays, who's a friend of mine, he was also nominated for uh, producer of the year. That's great. Um, he he called me the night before um, they were canceled, and he was like, "Hey, you know, what are you what are you going to do?" Because they were considering not going before they'd even been canceled, and. And I kind of spent that night thinking about it, and like, man, what's how's this going to pan out? We've got you know, people from all over North America and, and parts of the world coming to this event. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's pretty hard to, to stay away from people, especially, you know, when you're at after parties and stuff. You're close talking, you know. Um, so I was thinking about it a lot. And um, we were, I was, I was sort of, I'd sort of made the call that, you know, considering how bad things were on that Wednesday night that mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do anyways. Um, so when they got canceled, it was kind of like, I mean, it was, it was really disappointing. Um, but it was, it was a relief in the sense that I didn't have to make that decision anymore because if I had had to make the decision, you know, it it would have definitely been a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Well, you're right though. I mean, there's so much of the, the bro handshakes and the hugs and, you know, it would have been very in my personal space evening. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and it you know it'd be hard to be there and and just be afraid to kind of like go out or like talk to people. Mingle and, yeah. So uh, you know they definitely made the right call, um, especially considering how things have escalated over the past few weeks. Um, you know, I 100 percent support their decision to to cancel it. Um, right. Obviously, you know it's it's disappointing, but um, I'm just kind of keeping you know getting emails back, and I'm just kind of waiting to see what they're going to be doing in terms of how they're going to announce it this year and what, what they're oh. going to do because you know they're, they're going to announce them um right well i was going to say what what happened with the junos like did you win but obviously you don't even know if you've won yet then <laughs> no 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 um i have no idea what's what's going on with them i, I got an email today saying you know, that they're they're going to hold off on hmm. announcing any of the winners uh as of right now but um you know, I'll just wait and see. Then I'm sure when things settle down, they'll they'll come up with a game plan, whether oh, yeah. it's remotely or 
you know, you know, with an online sort of uh, thing. So they're just holding back for a sec, you know, and it, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, is it going to be ready in 2020? Let's be honest. It's freaking scary, yeah. man. Oh, it is. It's very, very scary. Yeah, I mean, there was this, there were so many things that were going along in conjunction with the Junos. You know, I had kind of interviews lined up. We were doing a a pa- like a producers engineer panel about like stories from the studio, mm. which I was you know excited to to talk about. We're we're going to be sharing um, just stories from the the songs that we were nominated with, and kind of how the songs came together in the studio, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. As the producer of uh, and engineer for Echo Plant, maybe tell us about some of the bands that uh, the, and the projects that you've been involved in over the years. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, um, one of the kind of early, early projects that I I started uh, was was Dear Rouge, and I kind of worked with them from from the beginning. Um, the the first album was essentially through Danielle and myself in in my home studio, uh, just kind of writing together, and you know that's that's how we kind of wrote and made that first album Amazing. and that was kind of one of the you know the the breaking points for me in in my career okay. because you know as as engineers and producers and musicians as well like you, you can be doing something for a long period of time without sort of any noticeable recognition um and you know once you get that credibility um, people all of a sudden think that, oh, you know, this person's amazing, even though they, they've been doing the same thing for the past who knows how long. Right. That sort of that, that credibility is, is really important in a producer and engineer's um, career because it, it enables them, it, it enables kind of other people to, to view them in a different way. Yeah. Oh, you did that record. Oh, you were on that one. Oh, cool. No. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, right. if you did that, you know, we'll, right. we'll say you this. We'll you've proven you yourself. Totally. Yeah. Because um, I see, I see so many engineers and producers that are up and coming right now, and they're doing great work, and, and I love what they're doing, but they haven't quite had a you know breaking point yet, and it's, it's right. just kind of a matter of time and timing as to you know when that's going to happen for them. For me, you know, that was kind of the the first big one, Dear and Rouge. that yeah, yeah, they they had uh, you know some success very early on, and it it happened very quickly, so I was able to. Um, you know, continue working on projects that uh, I was really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a few years after that, um, I did some work with uh, Said the Whale, did some mixing for them, mm. which was which was super fun because I've always been a big fan of those guys. Yeah, really fun band. Mm-hmm. And how cool to get the Juno nod, like, or at least the nominee. Oh, man. Like, pff, yeah. amazing. I was, Dude, amazing. I was so, so honored to have that. <laughs> no and, and so shocked, too. I mean, when I... The night, the morning that they were announced, um, Noella Charles, an artist that I work with, who's from Edmonton, um, she's been nominated in the past, and I, I, I've worked with her on the last few albums that she did. And she texted me, she said, like, woohoo or something. And I was like, oh, sweet, did you get a nomination? And she said, yeah, and you did too. And I was like, what? what? Nice. I was so shocked. Um, yeah, that's great. And I, it just, it was, uh, yeah, just an incredible. An incredible thing for me to have, just because you know you work so hard as you know, just kind of doing what you love and what you're passionate about, and just yeah. hoping that people will um, connect with it and resonate. Yeah, with it. a little validation, not that it's needed, but it's nice to have a backslap here and there. Yeah, 
Totally. Yeah. Totally. Hey, what was the music like in your house, in the in the Worsley house as a kid growing up? What are your parents playing you? Oh, man. That is such a good question. Um, <clears throat> I have a very interesting musical background as a, as a child. Um, my parents, <clears throat> I was raised um, super conservative Pentecostal Christian. Okay. And my parents only ever listened to Christian music. Wow. And they, so they never let Amy me Grant listen. and uh, did, you, did, <laughs> uh, yeah. did you get as heavy a striper? Or? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was huge into all of the Christian metal bands when I was younger because right. I didn't know anything anything different. Like, I would go to the, the Christian bookstore and I would, um, I would they would have these, these little, like, demo stations where you could listen to them. Yeah, I remember tapes. those. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it would say, if you like, you know, ACDC, then to listen to these guys, and they were basically just a complete ripoff of ACDC, but mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. Christian. So um, I was raised on, a, like, a lot of Christian rock music. Interesting. Um, okay. So, so don't hold that against not me. A, not at all. <laughs> so what were some of the bands then you're the, at the time that you were like, man, these guys are the best? Well, I, I was I was big into Striper. I mean, yeah. I was I was big into... Um, and they were pretty big, though, even, you know, uh, past the Christian scene. Like, they were they were pretty big. They were in Circus Magazine. They were in Metal Edge. They were. And, you know, I, they got a Juno nomination this year. Did they really? I'm pretty sure. Wow. I mean, I, yeah, I, I remember listening to their music when... Cause I, I, um, just judging, yeah. and I, I remember listening to, to a new Striper album, and I was like, "Wow, wow, who knew?" Music. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but then you know, once once I turned like eleven and twelve, <clears throat> then you know, my friends were showing me stuff, and I was like, sure. "Oh, okay, well, this is what it's really supposed to be like." <laughs> and I remember hearing, you know, like um, Metallica, Metallica's Black album, and just being so blown away, right. You know, a different world. Yeah, a totally different world. And just because I, I, I felt like I was raised with these sort of cheap knockoffs of all mm-hmm. this music, mm-hmm. and then to hear the real stuff, it was like, it was pretty pretty mind blowing. And I, I had a huge sort of awakening between like twelve and fourteen when I was just exploring a lot of you know just just kind of rock and metal, and then I, I got big into the alternative sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then this pumpkin from stream was a huge inspiration for me. It sounds like Teen Spirit, Nirvana. I'm sorry, never mind. Nirvana mm-hmm. um, was was huge. And then I, I think from then on, I was you know I was 100 percent like sold on on rock and into oh, rock. Yeah, I mean, does it get any better? Does it get any better? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast.
Podcast Podcast is powered by Milano Coffee, bringing you the finest espresso and coffee concepts in the world online at milanocoffee.ca. A look at this week's keyboard warriors, Todd's Trolls, on the Toddcast Podcast. The next time you're surfing around online, try and steer clear of the chirpy comments to pretty much everything and anything. No one and nothing is safe. Not even the strokes. Here's a band that's had one of the best debut albums ever released, or at least according to Rolling Stone. They say it's number eight all time. That same album is number two on their 100 best albums of the 2000s. Number 199 on Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Number four on NME's Top 500 Albums of All Time. And The Strokes put out a new album this past Friday, April 10th. It's called The New Abnormal. Pretty sure you can file this one under Who Cares. Besides last night, name another song by The Strokes. I'll give you 50 bucks if you can do it. Oh good, a one-hit wonder's putting out another album I'll never listen to. UFC 249 was supposed to go down this weekend on April 18th. The main event was originally Khabib versus Ferguson, but the coronavirus made travel virtually impossible. So then it was changed to Ferguson versus Gaethje at a super secret undisclosed location. And then a few days ago, Dana White did the right thing and postponed the fights. I don't know, maybe it's just me. With the world in chaos, UFC fights don't mean shit to me right now. Somehow, these fights are a bad look for the UFC. Money hungry much? How they continue to book fights during the coronavirus pandemic is unbelievable. Guys, come on, just stop already. And Trolls World Tour was supposed to be in theaters this past weekend. Instead, it will be released on streaming platforms. Poppy and Branch discover that they're but one of six different troll tribes scattered over six different lands. It stars Anna Kendrick, Justin Timberlake, James Corden, Rachel Bloom, even Ozzy Osbourne has a role. Really, Ozzy? You need money that badly, dude? No, thanks. I'd rather watch my fingernails get ripped off one by one with dirty, rusty pliers. For real, though, can James Corden please just go away? Todd's Trolls on the Toddcast Podcast is brought to you by Good Times Gin and Tonics, putting the GTs back in the GNT. Check out goodtimesdrinks.com.
for some answers I've been taking all my chances I was on my own Fever, high as an ego Red-blooded devil Take to the sky That is a new song for Showcore, Lost in Austin. And they were scheduled to play a podcast show April 24th. It would have been their Aging Youth album release party, but coronavirus. We'll talk to the boys about dialing something up again. Once things turn around and it's safe to kind of hang out and high five, get drunk and sweaty together, we'll get that sorted out. And you heard Emily Malloy, and her song was called Catastrophes, went into the warehouse in Gastown, that's Brian Adams's studio, banged out some tracks, the boys in Chase the Bear, I believe, were playing, backing her, and I think she's in the process of building a band for herself as I speak, as you might imagine, it might be a little tricky to use the guys in Chase the Bear once both bands start picking up the steam, as you might expect they will in summertime Uh, Maybe next year, I guess, fall if we're lucky this year, touring and all that good stuff as bands need to do. And Emily's building, so they will come. Looking forward to next week, and you should too. Multiple Juno-nominated bluesman David freaking Gogo is a guest. I've been really fortunate. Um, You know, I've opened up for so many of my musical heroes, especially blues people, Mm -hmm. and quite often... In those situations, well, not quite out there, but sometimes in, in those situations, I got to sit in with them. So I've sat in with um, Albert Collins, Johnny Winter, and B.B. King. So probably, you know, Johnny was always a hero, but I'd have to say to get, you know, to be standing on stage and, and trading guitar like for B.B. King, that's probably got to be it. And like, what's that, what's that like? <laughs> like, well, I know there's B.B. King playing with you. Really? I was... 21 or 22 at the time so it was even more surreal you know yeah. but the fact that the fact that he was a really super nice guy made it so much easier i bet you know it's it, it, so he he was just encouraging in fact i was kind of playing quietly because i was trying to be respectful and he, he kind of cocked his hand behind his ear and said like i can't hear you and the bass player looked at me and goes turn it up right like encouraging let's go <clears throat> yeah so I turned the amp up, and uh, and there I was. So it was, but it was weird. It was over in Switzerland. Oh yeah. So you know, I was walking on sunshine. You know, like, wow! I just played with BB King. So I went down to an after hours jam and mm-hmm. played a bunch more, and actually played with BB's band. Just kind of fronted the band. I did that. But by the time I got back to my hotel room, I just couldn't sleep. And yeah, there's no sleep that night. 
No, and no. I, I kind of looked at the clock and I tried to phone some people back in Canada. And, you know, back then it was a little more difficult. You had to phone through the hotel and everything. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I couldn't sleep. I went, wow, holy shit. I just, I just played on stage with BB King. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Pretty cool to talk with David Gogo. That's next week. Joining him is an American pro boxer, Marlon Esparza, and medical doctor and best-selling author, Brooke Goldner, is a guest as well. Another great week planned. Please, let your friends know what we're doing here. We release new episodes on Tuesday. We wanted to give a big thanks to this week's guests as well. Steve Gorman, thank you so much for your time. The Black Crows are one of my favorite bands all time. It took me some you know, composure to not fully geek out talking with you. And awesome that you're as rad as I hoped that you would be. And thank you so much for following on social media and sharing like you do. That's super cool. Get the puck out host, Chris Mancuso, my network brother. Thank you for jumping on, dude. Looking forward to a real life hang sooner than later, tossing a few back. And Juno nominee and Echo Plant Sound Studios' engineer, Ryan Worsley. Ryan, appreciate everything you do for our scene here in Vancouver, man. But in general, you shine bright on everybody. And it's no surprise that you have the respect of the industry. Good luck with the Junos. Really hope you win and you can bring home a statue. And that's going to do it for this episode 221. My name is Todd Hancock. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We're also on the Dean Blundell Network at deanblundell.com. Comment and rate the podcast. Search it out through Toddcast podcast huge thanks to all of our wonderful sponsors you can find all sponsored websites at toddhancock.ca if you'd like to sponsor the podcast you can for as little as 10 bucks a day right now there's a couple spots open which has not happened in years had a couple drop off with the coronavirus directly affecting the podcast it kind of hit me out of nowhere if you're looking or if you have a friend's company maybe that would benefit from some outside of the box advertising hit me up maybe we'll hang soon and see what we can do together there's contact info at the homepage till next week don't be an asshole nobody wants to be around that have fun play hard and most of all believe in yourself the Toddcast Podcast. Keep in touch with Todd through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and bookmark ToddHancock.ca.